content warning. The following episode includes discussion of sexual assault, child molestation, and domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Robert Kelly, better known as R. Kelly, has been an R&B superstar for over two decades. He has had several hits, such as I Believe I Can Fly and I Wish, won several Billboard Music Awards, NAACP Image Awards, and three Grammys. But throughout his career, R. Kelly has been criticized for relationships with minors, from his marriage to the late R&B singer Aaliyah when she was only 15 years old, which was later annulled, to rumors of sexual liaisons with underage girls, to a video surfacing of him allegedly engaged in sexual acts with a minor in 2002, the latter of which he was acquitted of in a court of law in 2008. Recently, R. Kelly was the subject of a documentary miniseries called Surviving R. Kelly. In the episodes, several women and families of girls and women who had been involved with him, as well as former business associates and others who knew him personally, alleged that he has had a long history of predatory behavior around young girls and women that continues to this day. The most recent allegations are from several women who accuse him of keeping women and girls captive in an abusive sex cult. R. Kelly is currently the defendant in a lawsuit alleging he knowingly transmitted a sexually transmitted infection, or STI, without informing one of his sexual partners. He is also in legal trouble for back child support to his ex-wife. In addition, the district attorney in Cook County, Illinois, has charged him with 10 counts of aggravated sexual abuse stemming from allegations by four women, three of whom were minors when he was alleged to have been involved with them. All of these are alleged actions, and R. Kelly has not been convicted in a court of law. R. Kelly has declared his innocence and has denied all charges. Today's episode is a much different format than typical episodes of Potstirer Podcast. I am joined by my youngest brother, Irvin, in a very informal conversation as we share our reactions to surviving R. Kelly and discuss issues related to the allegations. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am your host, Jay Poole, and this is Potstirer Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Irvin Johnson, otherwise known as Game on Cloud 9, YouTube anime reviewer and co-founder of Shining Otaku Comics. He's also my brother. Welcome, Irvin. How are you guys? Yokoso. Hey, so we both watched the documentary miniseries Surviving R. Kelly that was on Lifetime. And I want to have you on because you and I have talked a lot about issues surrounding this case. And I figured it would be helpful to have another perspective, particularly a male perspective, when talking through some of these heavy issues. So prior to the documentary, what did you know about R. Kelly and what was your opinion of him? Well, I mean, this is an interesting topic. When it comes to R. Kelly, I mean, of course, I knew that R. Kelly or, you know, I'd already known about all the stuff with him being um, peeing on the girl like back in the day and doing, uh, you know, sexual violations that he did, or at least allegedly did. I have to make sure I say that. But I feel like this really brought a lot more attention to it, you know, because it's one of those things where you hear about it and you're like, oh, dang, that's really messed up. But then you may just kind of go back to doing whatever you're doing. And it's not like I'm a really big, avid listener of R. Kelly. But I guess the way I kind of looked at it was like, oh, he did some, you know, some messed up stuff. But there are a lot of other people who did messed up stuff until... Hearing this and it going in depth, it goes from, dang, he did one messed up thing to that actually being his lifestyle. 
And not trying to downplay, of course, what he did before, because that's like pedophilia, obviously. But I don't think I really gave it much thought back then because it was so long ago. And I was young when that story came out. So, I mean, I didn't really think about it back then. So I guess you could say, in a way, it wasn't really brought to my attention in the same way as it has been as an adult, thinking about it again. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. For me, like it was a little bit different because I'm a little bit older than you. I'm actually a lot older than you. And I was a teenager when R. Kelly was coming out and when he was really big. And so I grew up with songs like Bump and Grind and yeah, like I Hear Your Body Calling. Oh, and body's calling. You know. <laughs> yeah, like that. And um, I Believe I Can Fly. Yeah, and like my, my, favorite, my favorite R. Kelly song was Down Low. But that was before, all before I Believe I Can Fly. And so, I mean, I knew of the raunchy R. Kelly. And then, I mean, of course, like I heard about him marrying Aaliyah and all that. But because I was a teenager back when that was happening, it didn't really register to me how big of a deal that should have been. And no, I can... Yeah, I can, I can definitely say like, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's like one of those things where it's like you listen to like, obviously, you have a lot of these artists, right? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, they live their lives or whatever. And, you know, people may or may not pay attention to some of the messed up things they do. But it almost kind of makes you wonder when you do hear about these things, how invested should we be in paying attention to their lives in, in, in conjunction with the art that, that we ingest from them? You know, the art that we take in, you know, so obviously we're people support R. Kelly. And it's like, you know, there are a lot of other artists out there who, you know, have done things. But I mean, I don't know about necessarily on this scale that we know about. I mean, yeah, you hear about like what, like Harvey Weinstein, of course, who does, you know, he did movies and whatnot and film. When that came out, of course, you know, of everything that's going on, then everybody wanted to break off from him and not support him. But I feel like I'm kind of going off tangent a little bit. But I guess I feel like, like, how do you separate the artist from the art, if that makes any sense? I guess that's what I'm trying to talk about i guess what do you think i guess it just kind of depends one of the things that struck me about the r kelly documentary is that one of the things that kept being pointed out is the fact that a lot of the songs that he made were tied into his personal life whether it was like these sexual trysts that he was having or i think i believe i can fly came from him playing basketball i think for him the art and the life were intertwined. And so I I think it's really hard, in his case at least, to completely separate the two. I don't think you can. I don't think you can separate them, to be honest. I feel like a lot of times an artist, obviously they create art and the art comes straight from the person's mind, you know, and they're obviously trying to tell some sort of story, even if it's more on a, let's say, um, on a subconscious level. So obviously, as much, as much as he would, as sexual as he would get in a lot of his songs, not saying that just because someone is sexual in a song, that, that means that it's got to always be something very negative. But it seems like, at least from, you know, everything I've ever heard from or listened to him, it didn't, it, you know, it always sounds like when you think about the song, like, my, my, like, was it, I was just telling you about this a little bit ago, um, where he's like, you know, my mind's telling me about no, but my, my body, my body's telling me yes. Yeah, bump know. and grind. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, you kind of wonder, like, I mean, not saying that had to necessarily be something bad, but it's like, okay, you know, is this someone who can't really control themselves that well? Right. And it just seemed like throughout his singing career, like, there were times where it seemed like he was almost telling on himself. Mm-hmm. Whether it was those kind of songs or when he did the one that they talked about in the documentary that was more recent when he did the song, I Admit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. I'm like, that was straight up telling on himself. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's like, I mean, even though he was making excuses for himself in the song, at the same time, it was pretty much telling on himself. And it seemed like that was sort of a pattern. There would be flashes of the real him. Like, this is like how he really is. Oh, most definitely. I can agree with that. You know, and I, I like how the documentary kind of used like the song I I Believe I Can Fly as an example of that like almost like he felt like he was invincible or something. And speaking of that so one of the things that kind of struck me and kind of bothered me I guess was that 
he did seem so untouchable. So he had the 2002 allegations with the tape. But then before that, there was Aaliyah. And then there were rumblings and rumors within the community about him having a predilection towards underage girls. So it was something that seemed to be constant throughout his career, but it didn't really seem to affect him as far as his popularity. You know, one thing I don't really get is why from back in the day, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can explain this to me. I mean, I've heard what people have said about this, but why it wasn't just an open and shut case that there was tapes showing that he allegedly, uh, I guess I'm just going to call it rape, you know, allegedly. Right, like a statutory know? rape, yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I don't understand how that wasn't open and shut from back then. And then this is coming forth. Like, how how much does a person have to do in order for it? And I don't care how much money somebody has. How much do you have to do in order for you to actually be convicted of something, you know? Right. Well, I think part of the issue is that the victim and the victim's family didn't cooperate. But that shouldn't really, to me, it shouldn't really matter if it's like if you already have the evidence right there in front of you to see that. Right. You know, then I'm like, okay, you know, it almost feels like like you wanted to sympathize with the person who assaulted the victim, you know, in this case. Yeah. You know, and. Yeah, because I think like they talked to one of the jurors and the juror said that he didn't like the prosecution. Like, it sounded really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I- like what? <laughs> no, I mean that shouldn't even matter to me. It's like that's to me it's open and shut, you know. It's like I don't I personally think that I mean obviously when you when you know about that I mean it's like yeah, he I think he did it. Mm-hmm. You know from back then. And I know they don't want you to ever like let's say for example now like wasn't he charged for, like child support or whatnot? So they're charging him with back child support. But then they're also I believe Cook County is also pursuing another statutory rape case against him or, or false imprisonment or something like that, where there's um, four different accusers. Three of them were underage at the time. You know, my whole thing is one of the things that moved me in the, um, the documentary, obviously, you know, you hear a lot of the different stories of the victims, right? Right. But I think one of the stories that pushed me the most is when they got into how the conditions were in some of the rooms. Like, it almost sounded like some kind of slavery stuff going on when I think they described one of the rooms where basically the women were using the bathroom in in their own room. Right, yeah. And I'm like, okay, if it gets to that point, you know, then I'm like, you know, I mean, it shouldn't even be even remotely close to that point. Obviously, you're starving the women, you know, and all that. And then on top of that, then you have these parents trying to save these women, right? Right. You know, or tra- they're trying to come and actually, like, get their kids to leave R. Kelly's place. But one of them in particular, when you looked at her mother saved her in the R. Kelly special. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised they haven't kind of had her speak out or say more since she is more recently out of that situation. Has she said anything to your knowledge at all? Not to my knowledge. Probably part of the reason, or maybe all the reason, why she hasn't spoken out is because it's so fresh. And if you've basically been held captive by someone, Mm -hmm. then that takes an emotional toll on you. And that person may, that person probably brainwashed you, or they call it Stockholm syndrome, where you identify with your captor. That's true. Yeah. And so, Once she's out of that, it's like, okay, acclimating to being free. I'm sure that takes a lot of therapy, a lot of trying to adjust to real life. So I'm sure that um, at this point, she might not feel comfortable speaking out, but maybe with more therapy and with there being some time in between what happened and her freedom, then I think maybe that might allow for her to speak out. Basically, the reason why I even brought that up is because her story is one of the stories that moved me the most. Of course, I'm talking about, like, of course, the conditions of the rooms, but then that story right there in particular. It wasn't just a situation. And all the other stories were stories of manipulation as well. But seeing that even in more recent time, you know, that this is still going on and you're actually seeing it happen live. So it's not something that, you know, I know you always have people who, you know, kind of come up with these conspiracy theories. And sometimes, depending on what it is, not with this, but I might even think, oh, maybe there's a conspiracy behind it. But in this case, I'm like, nah, man, 
Like, like you're seeing this happen in real time. And of course, referencing back in the day, that tape where he was allegedly in it. And I'm like, yeah, like, I don't, I personally don't see how, you know, a person could make a defense at this point. Like, it's not, and you got multiple different point of views. I forgot to bring this up. You got a multiple different point of view. His brother were in there, you know, talking about it on the documentary. His brothers. Yeah. It wasn't (laughs) like you just had a room of women that wanted money for him or, you know, had some kind of vendetta against him. I'm like, well, his brothers were were in there talking too. you know, people he worked with. So I'm like. He would have had to have pissed off a whole lot of folks for it to be the case. And then not only that, but then it's like they all had different kinds of stories that lined up with each other. It wasn't like they told the exact same story that sounded like it was scripted or anything like that. There were different types of stories and they all fit together nicely like a puzzle piece. And you would think that if from back in the day, right? You know, when all this went down and, you know, and he got off, you would think that he would have been smarter, right? And it's funny that he actually said that in the interview where he said, um, why would I do this if you know everything I've been through? But it's like, but real talk, man, let's say you didn't do that stuff, right? And you know, you have a certain image that people think that you've done these sort of things. Why would you just skate the line like that with the women you're with? And then now on top of that, having all these women stay with you when people view you that way, you know, and I'm not saying that you can't do your own thing, but clearly people find it very suspect, the kind of life that you live, you know, and you just went through something like this. So I would have thought you would have been much smarter and not even have, I wouldn't have thought that he wouldn't have actually continued to try to carry that public persona of uh, being with young women, you know, like it's like, even if you got with someone who's 18, I'm like, well. That still shows that you for that that would still be suspect. It's like who sits there and waits as somebody seventeen? Like you, you eighteen yet? You eighteen yet? I mean, I'm I'm twenty five. I don't want to even be with someone who's eighteen, you know, or nineteen. I'm twenty five. They're much closer to my age than R. Kelly, who's fifty. I think he's fifty. He's in his fifties. One of the two. Yeah, he's fifty two. Even worse, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, come on now, man, you know, and then people already thought these things for you pre those tapes, I'm sure, because of the Aaliyah stuff. So it's like, okay, you know that you've built this public persona all this time. You know, you just had a case on it, you know, and then, you know, then you want to try to use that as your defense saying, you know, oh, everything I went through, do you really think I would do X? And it's like, yeah. You know, because people already thought you got off before. So I'm like, I would have thought you would have been like, you know what? Let me let me date some older women, especially since back then. Maybe you could have made the argument, even though this is, I'm not going to condone this by any means. This is sick. But back in the day when he was with Lee, it's like, OK, well, I guess you were a younger person. Then. But I'm thinking like, dude, now you're way older than even that. And you're still going after women like close to that age. Like, come on, man. You can't even make that seem like it was like a just that situation you know, or something that you learned from, or you were young or being stupid, or the person seemed older than what they were, or whatever have you. And again, I'm not condoning that by any means, because that's sick. But I'm like, a 52-year-old man, I'm like, you you evidently didn't learn anything, any lessons. And I don't, I don't see why he didn't, he didn't change at all after going through all that. I would agree with that. Like, I feel like with R. Kelly, though, there's some level of, there's definitely manipulation. So there's definitely him trying to make it sound like he's innocent or that, oh, I wouldn't do that. Why would I do that since I almost got in trouble for that before? But actually it kind of does because of the fact that he was able to get away with it before. A lot of times predators, when they are able to get away with something, they continue and they escalate. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and That seems to kind of be a pattern a lot of times with killers and with other types of predators that they'll start off with certain types of crimes. Like they might start with breaking and entering and they might start off with like being a peeping Tom. And then they find that, you know, they might get in trouble with the law, but then they might get off for that. Or even if they get convicted, they might get like a short sentence or they might get a slap on the wrist. But then instead of them being like, that was a mistake. I won't do that again. No, instead it's like, oh, you know what? I got away with that. So it makes them more brazen. And so graduate from the B&Es and 
the um, peeping Tom kind of stuff to like rape and full on like assault and escalating to like murder. There's that escalation there. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing in a sense with R. Kelly. Like it started out with him just, oh yeah, like I'm sleeping with these underage girls. And then it later on becomes, oh yeah, I'm holding these women captive. There's that progression. And then if you notice, so towards the end, or at least more recently, it's like he's focusing on girls that are getting close to being an adult legally. Okay, well, I'm going to focus on this person that's like 17, right? And start to groom them and then move them say, away from their parents. And then once they're 18, then they're mine completely. You just see this escalation of a predator, allegedly. My hunch as to why he's been able to get away with it is because of who his victims are. Because there's a study that shows that convictions and sentences, like what happens to an alleged perpetrator, is based the most on the race of the victim. And if you notice, most of the women that R. Kelly was like preying on were black. Um, I think that there was one in a documentary that might have been Latino, but nevertheless, like these were not white women. And I think that that's part of what it was. Like, I think he knew who he could prey on that wouldn't elicit a lot of outrage. Oh, yeah. You know, he was like, these are, he's like, I can stay under the radar. They won't care about these women. Right. You know, these women, you know, I'm like, aren't, it's not going to be like, you know, how you see a lot of other times in, you know, the public, you know, where you have someone. And then it's not to say that this is, that you wouldn't show the same level of care for, you know, a woman who's white. But a lot of times, let's be honest here, if it's a white woman or, you know, a white girl, there's a lot more alarm usually shown over any other race or ethnic background. Right. And that's kind of almost like, I think, the irony of the whole Me Too movement. So Tarana Burke, who started the Me Too movement, she was actually in the documentary. Oh, yeah, I saw her. Yeah, and Me Too became kind of a big thing a couple years ago. With Harvey Weinstein. Right. But the crazy thing is, so Tarana Burke, as a black woman, started the whole Me Too movement, like I want to say about a decade ago. But... It didn't become a big thing until the focus was on white women that had been allegedly abused. And even then, it still took a long time to even start to focus on some of these cases that involved black women being abused. The Harvey Weinstein thing came out and then you start hearing about these other alleged predators. And it was such a big thing in in the mainstream media. But as far as like some of these cases, like R. Kelly, I mean, this didn't become, this didn't blow up like it has until this documentary came out. Oh, yeah. It's like everybody forgot about it. And I'm not even going to lie. I didn't even give it much thought after, you know, or give it any thought, to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest. Right. I didn't until I, until I ended up seeing this. And then I'm like, oh, man, like, <laughs> you know, now, and you know, to be honest, even though. I still like the sound of the music. It makes the when you listen about the music, it makes you think about it in a different way. Where I'm like, man, I wouldn't be surprised if you were singing these songs while you were raping and strangling these women out. Yeah, that's why I can't listen to it anymore. And actually, I haven't been able to listen to R. Kelly in a while. Like, I actually kind of stopped listening to him when the allegations were coming out about him um, urinating on a girl. One of the things I mentioned in the documentary was that So he's had a lot of mainstream success, but then he's especially been really popular in the black community. Oh, yeah. So you have kind of this dynamic, right, where I think for a long time, and I think you still have some of that, but I think for a long time, you had a lot of people within the black community that didn't want to believe that he would do all these things. And I mean, part of it is because people didn't want to see a successful black man fall. And also, I mean, this isn't just in the black community, but like, I think that there is also that culture of not wanting to believe women or be like, oh, well, you know, maybe it was her fault or partially her fault or 
she shouldn't have been dumb and went off with him or like a lot of victim blaming. Yeah, and that, that's the sad thing is that there is a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I know I talked about with you before was that I feel like a lot of times when you think about victim blaming, for example, right? Back uh-huh. in the day, somebody, a woman would say she's raped and nobody would believe her. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I kind of feel like it's the other extreme. But in R. Kelly's case, I think it's justified, though, because I think there's a lot of evidence to support that. Not just the people coming out and saying that, but then there's previous allegations that have happened before. And then, of course, we were even seeing the situations in real time happen. But this is a good question I kind of want to ask you. Um, and I'm, I guess I'll ask the audience, too. Do you guys ever think that sometimes it's too much to have both of the or one of those extremes? For, so, for example, like, it's terrible when you have people who don't believe the victims. I think that's horrible, just flat out. But then... I think it's also terrible when someone makes an allegation and there's not really, you don't really hear the other side too much. And automatically the person is taken to the gallows. Like I said, in R. Kelly's case, I think it's completely justified. But I ha- I do think sometimes you do see situations, and I don't want to like change the subject or like bring up any other figures or anything like that, where. Well, you can yeah. if you want. Okay. Okay. Like, you know, you know how I'm in the anime community. Mm-hmm. And the Vic Mignogna situation, he's the voice of Broly. If you guys know Full Metal Alchemist uh, or Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, he voices Edward Elric, the main character. And he's done many other voices in anime and gaming. So some of you out there, if you're listening, you may be familiar with that if you are an anime watcher. And he, I think he does some games, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's been accused of doing sexual assault. And that's not to say that he didn't do that. But without there really being a lot of evidence that's at least been proven without a shadow of a doubt that he's done sexual assault, you know, in all these different cases, he's gotten fired from Funimation. He's lost his job. And at this point now, he's preparing a lawyer. So to kind of bring it back to the whole R. Kelly thing, in R. Kelly's case, I feel like this is completely justified because if you've had all of this, um, you know, evidence that's come forth, you've had all of these women not only make these, you know, say these things, but this is throughout the years. So this isn't just one person saying it that maybe could be upset. This isn't just two people, not just three people, not just four. Not to mention, even if you were to say, oh, well, they're like, these women are just mad. It's from the past. I'm like, but dude, you have women even nowadays, like real time. You're seeing this in real time. Like, you know, something's up. You know, I'm like, I, I refuse to believe that, that, that these women are lying. But I do think it does create a dangerous, um, I guess I think it's dangerous either way it goes if people don't believe the women just flat out or if it's the other extreme where um, you just believe someone just because they said it. I think that people should really listen to what both sides have to say before making a conclusion, meaning that you actually listen to the, the victim, too. You don't you never just pass something off, but then you don't just flat out just take something just on the surface, you know, that you listen to both sides because it can be detrimental for both. But I want to get everybody else's opinion out there, you know, and I want to get your opinion, of course, Jay. Okay, so here's the thing, right? So on one hand, I know like within the Black community, for example, there is a history of Black men in particular being lynched because of false accusations of a sexual nature. So, I mean, probably the most famous case of that is Emmett Till. He was being accused of just whistling at a white woman, and then he was beaten and mutilated and murdered. Like, that's probably, like, one of the most famous ones, but then there's been other cases of white women who said that they had been assaulted by a black man or a group of black men, and those men were lynched. And then at some point, the woman later recanted her story and was like, oh, well, that wasn't true. Oops. So, I mean, can that happen? Sure. The reason why I brought it up was just because there is that history of a racial nature of there being like false accusations. Like, I think that there was actually a case recently of a woman, I want to say in Texas, who like, it was like a teenage girl who said that three black men raped her. And then she later said, like, oh, well, that wasn't true. Like, my bad. Yeah. And, you know, she didn't have any charges filed against her for false reporting. Those issues are problematic. Well, Well, see, that's the thing. Like, 
you know, he has 16 counts against him. And then you have this woman that falsely accused all these men of rape and no charges. It's like, really? But in the Jesse Smollett case, I don't even think anybody got hurt. You know? Well, no, they didn't. You know, so I'm like, I'm mean, not saying it's a good thing. Oh no, you know? I mean, I'm still, I mean, yeah, it's still wrong. I mean, you're but... still figuring out the case, but I'm just saying, like, if it really comes out that he did lie, I'm like, well, 16 counts don't worth. Like, I'm like, come on, bro. Like, as many people as y'all have have you know slapped on the wrist for stuff that was far worse. You mean to tell me you couldn't just find the man or something? You know, I don't think it, it would be worth jail time personally. Oh, well, mm-hmm. I think that he's being made an example out of. Mm-hmm. The 16 counts is, is because they're trying to make an example out of him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, so there's that whole thing. But then at the same time, I think, in general, when we talk about, so let's say we talk about somebody getting robbed or somebody having their house broken into. We don't assume that the person whose house is broken into or the person that says that they're being robbed is lying. Now, that said, I mean, does that ever happen? Sure. There are people who will fake a robbery or fake being broken into so that they can get insurance money. It does happen sometimes. Or burn down a property. Right. Oh, yeah. They'll say like, oh, you know, my house caught fire or whatever, and they did it themselves. That actually happened a lot in places like New York and Detroit during like the late 60s through the 70s. Landlords would set their houses on fire or set their apartment complexes or whatever on fire because it was worth more to them burnt out than what they were getting from the tenants as far as rent. So let me get that insurance money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's part of the reason how you had in different cities these areas that were very run down because of these types of issues that these arsons that would happen. And of course, like nobody would ever get charged with it mm-hmm. because the police didn't care about that. Well, this is the inner city. Who cares? You know, it's just the ghetto, whatever, you know, and they don't care. So I guess my point, the reason why I brought that up is because do you ever have false accusations? Sure. But I kind of almost feel like sometimes we focus so much on the false accusations that we don't focus on the fact that the vast majority of what's being accused, that there's some truth to it. Now, of course, police should do an investigation, evidence and all that. Well, I do feel bad for people who are falsely accused. Okay, because I do think that's bad, right? I think that there are other issues that probably should be focused on more in terms of sexual assault, like the fact that the vast majority of women who get sexually assaulted don't report it. So only a quarter of women who get sexually assaulted will report it. And then I think it's like 10% even get prosecuted. So I think that if we focus too much on false accusations, then we are not empowering Women and men, too, because there are men that get assaulted, too. We aren't empowering survivors to come out and say that this has happened to them. And then on top of that, the other thing that I think is important is in a lot of cities, in a lot of localities, there's a huge backlog of rape kits sitting on a shelf, having not been tested. And that's a huge problem because in a lot of places sexual assault, sexual battery, rape, stuff like that, has a statute of limitations. And it's like we have the technology to catch people and to maybe more definitively say like, okay, this is the person. But those kits aren't being tested. To me, I mean, that's to be pushed as a bigger issue. That's that. that I'm like, to me, I'm like, that. you're, you're doing people a disservice to not test those you know and get those people off the streets right because i mean the funny thing is even though we're talking about r kelly i'm like i'm pretty sure there's plenty of other r kelly's out there oh yeah i'm sure he's he's not the only one he's just the one that you know about because he's famous right like because he's famous and he is not very good at hiding what he does oh yeah if he allegedly did all these things there's a lot of other people like him then I do think that it's important to create a culture where people who are victimized 
do feel like they can come forward and that their claims can be taken seriously. And that's especially, I think, important when you're dealing with famous people because of the fact that like when people are famous, I mean, it's sort of like what they talked about in the documentary. Like, you know, when you have somebody that's famous, you you have all these people who their financial future or their financial well-being is tied into that person. It's all about money and how much money they can get out of being associated with that person. That's part of the reason why you have like these people that are famous that are able to continue to offend without impunity because they have help. And they have people surrounding them that enable them to just continue doing what they've been doing. I think, especially in that kind of situation where you do have people that have handlers, they have gophers, they have assistants, they have all these people that can do all these things for them. I think it's especially important to be able to, if those people are doing bad things, allegedly, then we should be able to support justice for them and you know something though like at least when it comes down to the whole sexual assault stuff with you know women mm-hmm. i kind of feel like a lot of this culture the reason why it is the way it is now why it's so aggressive is a lot is men's fault mm-hmm. because i'm like you had these situations where you never wanted to believe any of these women and i don't know if it's in the case that maybe some of these people were themselves that were denying it were rapists or something and maybe they wanted to i don't know help their buddies out or whatnot i don't know (laughs) you know or they felt like it was a weakness to believe a woman or something like that but i'm thinking like i feel like that's why it's so intense now i don't know i I, kind of feel like it's 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 almost like when you have people complain you made things this way you treated women like second-class citizens you know, and you didn't want to believe anything that they said. It's almost like you think that women are lying if they if they say that they've been assaulted rather than actually doing the right thing and looking into whatever the issues are. Right. Kind of going back to the documentary, I think that that was the thing that bothered me probably the most was that when these things would happen, right, and especially within the black community, if anything else, your community should be able to support you, right? But I think, unfortunately, it seemed like throughout the whole thing, Black women were kind of thought of second, an afterthought. Like, I what? don't think they were afterthought. I don't think they were thought at all because people heard it and they kept doing what they, what they wanted to do. Yeah. And I mean, even like I, the thing that I thought was crazy. Like that Boondocks episode. Oh, yeah. But the thing <laughs> I, yeah. And I mean, the thing I thought was crazy, the thing I thought was crazy was that in the beginning, so he had gotten out of school. Uh, he had gotten out of school. He had started his career, right? And so he's like in his mid to late 20s. Right? Yeah. And he's going back to his high school trolling for girls. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think they said the school was like right across from a police station. Yes, he said he didn't care. But that was he the was thing. Is it didn't, it well, but that's the thing. Like he didn't care. They didn't give him a reason to care. And that's the thing. I would think that if you had like, you know, this old dude sitting outside of a high school that you probably yeah. stop and say, like, hey, what's going on? Like, why are you here? You yeah, know? you got a, you got a, like a kid that you have dropped off at the school or something like, you know, you are you somebody's guardian or right? <laughs> especially, I mean, if the guy if, if he was being seen that often at the school, obviously without a child of his own. Right. Then I would think that the police would stop by and say, like, hey. I mean, I don't know if maybe they thought maybe he was mentoring, like, you know, a music class or something. I don't know. Maybe they could have thought he was doing that. But I mean, to me, it would still at least warrant a question. I'd be like, oh, you know, like, are you over a music program for the kids in the community or something? Like, you know, well, but the thing and is- if he said no, then I'd be like, what are you doing here? You know? Right. But like, <laughs> I think he even, like they even said that there are people that came up to him like, why are you still here? So they knew that he wasn't there to mentor somebody. There are all these different periods of time, all these different incidents, all these different signals and these different signs that he was a predator. And this wasn't like nobody was seeing this stuff, right? And yet, if that counts. right? And that, and yet, like nobody, it seemed like nobody really wanted to step in on behalf of these girls. I mean, I was looking at those pictures of Aaliyah. Did you see the sadness it looked like in her face? 
And it was just like, man, you know, because I mean, he met her when she was 12. And nobody thought to step in on this child's behalf. I'll just say this, I guess, to kind of close up the R. Kelly stuff. You know, yes, all this stuff allegedly happened. You know, I believe it did happen, all this stuff, um, you know, in regards to R. Kelly. Um, you know, just think there's too much evidence to refute it, to be honest with you. Only thing I have to say is, I do find it a little bit surprising that you do have all these stories about black men right now with bad things in the public. But if I'm not mistaken, a few days ago, didn't Harvey Weinstein get charged? It was in the news, and I haven't hardly heard anybody talking about it. So I think that that's a problem. I think I think we should be talking about him, too, <laughs> and not just the other people. And that's, of course, we should talk about the other people. That doesn't mean you throw... Because I've seen some people say that, you know, we need to stop talking about R. Kelly and talk about Harvey Weinstein. I'm like, no, keep talking about R. Kelly, but talk about Harvey Weinstein, too. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's important. So, yeah, well, I mean, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, and I think now to be fair, I mean, Harvey Weinstein was was one of the first people that was targeted when Me Too became a big thing. I guess my thing is is that I think that my takeaway from it is that we need to focus on also elevating the voices of Black girls and women. Maybe part of the reason why some of these are coming up is because maybe we're finally, to some degree, starting to listen to those voices. Because realistically, most crimes, including most like sexual assaults and everything, are within the same race. And that's usually pretty much across the board as far as crime, but particularly, but also with sexual assault. And so I think part of the reason why maybe there's like, there is some focus on black men doing things is because the victims are black women. And I think that, I think that's important. I think giving voice to the victims is important. And I think especially with, um, like Me Too having started out by a black woman, trying to elevate those voices. And then I think for a, for a while, especially when it got big, then those voices kind of got lost. There are a lot of people that even forgot who started Me Too and they were focusing on these Caucasian celebrities and they were focusing on these stories, which, I mean, those stories are important too, right? But we start something that once it gets big, we can't benefit from. And I think that that's a problem. Within the black community, I think that we need to do a better job with- Supporting each other. Exactly. Yeah, like we definitely need to do a better job of supporting each other, especially supporting black women, because I think historically and even like to this day, to some degree, a lot of times, like when we look at like black progress and black advancement, there's a lot of focus on black men, which I think that there should be some focus on black men, of course. We shouldn't just leave black men behind, right? But I think a lot of times like black- There's an expectation for black women to lift up black men, but not have that same uplift in return. We should support each other. Just like how we should be uplifting black men, we should also uplift black women. And that means also being our own best advocates, too. Because I think too often we're not. I did want to take a little time to talk about what you're working on. So you're co-owner of Shining Otaku. So first of all, explain a little bit about what manga is, especially for listeners who might not be familiar with manga. And then talk a little bit about Shining Otaku. So manga, if you're not familiar with it, is basically like, are there Japanese-inspired comics? Japanese-style comics. So if you're familiar with Dragon Ball, it started off as a manga or a Japanese comic, which is called manga in Japan. Manga have a certain kind of style or aesthetic to them. Of course, there's different styles of um, art you know, with manga, just like there are different styles in Western comics. A lot of manga typically have like their own universe. Or in, in the case of like Dragon Ball, of course, you know, you have the Dragon Ball universe. If we're talking about a shonen manga like Dragon Ball, but 
you know, in Western comics, let's say we take a character like Spider-Man. Spider-Man may be stuck in the world with several other superheroes that are created by different writers. Now, it's not to say that there's there's no manga out there like that. I can't really think of any, off the top of my head of one in particular that is, though, because there's so many. But it's generally um, Japanese-style comics, to just put it simply. As far as what Shining Otaku does, we do Japanese-inspired comics. So we're not none of us in Shining Otaku are Japanese, but we use the style of manga to create comics. We do, to some degree, put it you know in a Western format in terms of the way it reads. So we put it uh, left to right as opposed to the right to left formula that they do in Japan, because that's how people read in Japan. But we tell stories that are relatable to our own lives. So. There's six of us that are in, within Shining Otaku. So, of course, you have myself, you have, in this case, N, you have Director, you have Felix, Techie. Um, so, you have several different ones. I hope I'm not forgetting anybody, you know, because you also we're also working on videos, too. So, we have a couple other people on the team. But our main focus is to put out stories that are relatable in a manga format. You know, I work on the story called Gods of Life. If I were to just summarize that simply, um, the story of God's life, it's about a girl named Amiri Valhallen who is fighting against a one-world unified government that has created a unified peace, but in the underground world, the way they maintain peace is in a very dark and twisted way. So after her father disappears, you know, her grandfather disappears as well, she goes on a journey inspired by her friend Carmen into the mercenary world in order to find out where whereabouts and to bring down this government. So like one of the things I find kind of fascinating about God's life. And I think one of the things that makes it unique is that Amiri, your protagonist is a black woman. Oh yes. Was there a reason why you created her as a black woman? She was actually co-created by, um, and, and actually, um, was uh, the original artist for Amiri. He created the design, the original design for, and then, of course, later on, Felix, uh, she uh, revamped the design. But originally, when we were creating the concept, we wanted to make something different. You know, we wanted to, you know, not go with, one, a lot of times in manga, if you don't know, they pick, if it's in Japan, for example, right? A lot, a lot of times the, the protagonist is, you know, a Japanese male, which, you know, if it's a shonen manga, which makes sense, right? You know, people who are writing it are Japanese. You know, a lot of times, you know, there are a lot of men. There's a lot of women that, you know, of course, are creators and do their own manga as well. So there's a lot of manga out there that are made by women and they have female protagonists. But in this case, since we were trying to make something a bit different, we wanted to, one, make a black character. And then I'm like, you know, it would be too simple, too basic just to do a male character. You know, I mean, that's the most predictable thing, you know, for this major story we're trying to do. Let's go with something a bit different and try to make a female protagonist. So that's how you get the we got the whole idea of, you know, a black female protagonist. Plus, myself and N have sisters, <laughs> you know, or N has, a, you know, he has his little sister. And then I have two older sisters. And I guess you could say we're surrounded by women in our life. So makes it the most convenient thing and the most interesting thing to be able to write a female protagonist, black female protagonist, to be specific. Mm -hmm. One last question that I have is, so what is next for Shining Otaku? Oh, boy. Well, with Shining Otaku, this year is actually a very big year for us. You know, we've had, um, you know, a lot of uh, work that we've been working on in the background, had a lot of chapters that we've built up. But this year, we are going to be launching our YouTube channel, which has been in the works for a while. That's going to have um, a lot of content. This is going to include um, certain questionnaire videos where we're going to get into certain topics. You know, one of the big topics that I'm really excited to talk about, um, you know, that which, you know, we'll be releasing probably one of our first videos is can anyone create manga? Meaning, if you're not Japanese, can you consider what you make if it's Japanese-inspired manga? Now, we're going to get into that topic on our channel. You know, we made a whole video about it, you know, plenty of research, you know, and we're going to kind of dive into that, um, you know, pretty deep. And, of course, you know, we'll let you guys know when that comes out if you check out our uh, Facebook page. Um, now, um, it's Shining Otaku Comics. 
Uh, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. You can find us at Shining Otaku. And that's S-H-I-N-I-N-G-O-T-A-K-U. Means shining nerd. Or that's basically what otaku means. It means nerd in Japanese. Oh, okay. But yeah, just to be <laughs> clear, I know everybody wonders like otaku, what does that mean? It's like otaku means nerd in Japanese. So shining nerd. It's, but it's not called shining nerd. It's called shining otaku. Um, but anyway, um, you know, we're going to be addressing that. We're going to bring back the Shining Spotlight interview um, with a lot of the guests that we have. You know, so, you know, if you ever follow Shining Spotlight, um, you know, we've interviewed guests like Diana Garnett, who did uh, um, actually one of the Naruto endings, uh, which I definitely enjoyed that interview. Um, like she did an official Naruto ending, you know, like sung it in like this is in Japan, not like an English dub version or anything like that. Like she sung this in Japanese and she's one of the few foreigners, you know, like outside of Japan to actually do that in fact i think she may be the only one to actually do that for like naruto so i think that was really awesome um no actually no there is one other i believe joe he was another one so that was also pretty cool too um we've interviewed um ogawa brook um she's a mangaka in japan um we've interviewed white manga he's a fairly big youtuber he's done um the manga series apple black with saturday am so we're gonna be bringing that series back all right that's awesome. Like, I, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm sure that many of our listeners are looking forward to that as well. And if you haven't checked it out, definitely check it out. Like, I'll have the links to the Facebook page and also on um, Twitter at Shining Otaku. I have that in the show notes. And Instagram. Instagram doesn't have any pictures on there yet, but we will be. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, definitely check out ShiningOtaku.com. Um, I'll have the links to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much, Urban, for coming on. I, I really enjoyed us having this conversation. Oh, you're welcome. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. With Urban and I discussing the very tough and difficult issues surrounding R. Kelly's most recent scandal and our fun palate cleanser at the end when we had a chance to talk about manga, Shining Otaku, and Gods of Life. It was the first time having my brother on the show, so while it was a bit different than a typical episode, I hope you were into it as much as I was. While we're on the subject of firsts and siblings, sibling duo Helen and Valerie react to the rom-com 27 Dresses in the latest episode of Falling in Love Montage. This is their first episode featuring a film starring Katherine Heigl, which is so crazy since she's a staple of modern chick flicks, or at least she was for a while. And it's the first episode covering a movie with James Marsden. So listen to the latest episode and all of the great episodes of Falling in Love Montage on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and most anywhere you get your podcasts, or go to fallinginlovemontage.com. And for all the awesome podcasts, blogs, and more from Flying Machine, go to flyingmachine.network. Thank you very much for listening to Potstirer Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Go to potstirerpodcast.com slash download and links to the show on various podcast players are posted there. If you subscribe, you'll be able to access and download episodes as soon as they're available. No waiting. Want to share your thoughts on an episode or anything related to politics, religion, or history? Go to the Potstirer Podcast discussion group. Enter it in the Facebook search bar and click to join. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future because freedom is not free. I give you... The Incredible Flying Machine!